Lord, we thank you that we can come together today, that you have appointed each one to be here in attendance together as family, as a body of believers. And Lord, we are looking to you. We worship you. We offer our praise before you. And Lord, in these next few moments, as I would share about your grace, about your mercy, your faithfulness, I ask, Lord, that you would encourage all of our hearts because of it, because of the things that are shared, but most importantly, supremely, uh, that our eyes would be turned in wonder towards you. Perhaps our hearts would be revived by the reminder that you are changeless, by the reminder that you are always with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us, Uh, that despite our sinfulness and our proneness to wander, you remain faithful. And so, Lord, I pray you would just help me as I share uh, these thoughts with my brothers and sisters this morning, uh, that it would be easily understood uh, and that we would respond in thanksgiving towards you. Perhaps, O Lord, there are those who today do not know the reality of the gospel and the Lord Jesus, I pray that these few words would encourage their hearts to turn their eyes upon Jesus. Perhaps, Lord, there would be uh, Christians, believers today who are discouraged or weary uh, in this race. Uh, Lord, may they be rejuvenated and encouraged. And Lord, for those who are walking with you, May this help to go from strength to strength. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help these next few moments as I share these thoughts for your glory in Jesus' name. Before I start, um, it seems surreal to be standing behind this pulpit after some time. And it has been many, many years since I have... Uh, shared uh, my full testimony and those of you who are familiar with uh, my preaching know that if my preaching normally goes for an hour my testimony is probably going to be a reasonable length it's not going to go for an hour but uh, this week uh, Terry asked or a couple of weeks ago Terry asked if um, I might be able to share my testimony before we take communion and so throughout the week I have spent some time putting thoughts on paper and I've condensed it as much as I possibly could Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Throughout the testimony, we're going to turn to a few passages of Scripture 
as a little bit of a devotional thought as we go. In my short 32 years of life, God has permitted me to soar to heights of exuberant joy and to drink the cup of suffering and despair. Throughout my life as a Christian, the two spiritual elements that have guided, guarded and revived my heart have been the scriptures and the songs of faith. I am indebted to so many people who have prayed, supported and invested in my physical and spiritual life. But above all, I am most indebted to Jesus Christ, who bore my sins in his body on the tree and poured out grace upon grace to the chief of sinners. I was born in 1984 into a Christian home, though my Jewish parents were only converted months before my birth. My father, a very charismatic and entrepreneurial man, was so moved by his conversion that most of his waking moments were spent on the street corners and in the markets preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. To this day, there are many who can attest to my late father's zeal for evangelism and that his labours were not in vain. My mother would actively assist dad by hosting dinner parties for people who he would meet throughout the day and invite into our home. Many professions of faith were made around that dinner table as mum and dad explained the gospel to all who came across their path. Those given to hospitality have been blessed with a great gift for evangelism. In 1985, mum fell pregnant again, and in November she gave birth to my sister Golda, who has Down syndrome, who many of you know. In 1986, another child was born, whose name was Samuel. During this year, my parents' marriage began to unravel. Being relatively new Christians, mum and dad were not terribly grounded in the scriptures, and as a result, my father became involved in some dangerous fringe Christian groups. Sadly, this created a great rift between my parents, resulting in Dad leaving our family and starting his own cult. My mother was left with three children under the age of three in the May of 1987. One month later, Mum awoke in the morning to find that my brother Samuel had died of a cot death, being only seven months old. Despite this tragedy, tragedy, my mother continued to trust in the Lord and to bring up her remaining children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. On Sunday, the 28th of May, 1989, our family of three attended a church service, as was our custom. However, this particular service was to be life-changing for me. The preacher, a pastor in training and a close friend of our family, was sharing from the Word of God. I have no recollection of the text, but I will never forget the stirring that occurred within my young heart. God was moving mightily upon me, and I needed to respond to him immediately. Before the sermon was over, I walked to the front of the little scout hall in which the service took place, and I interrupted the preacher by asking to be saved. Graciously and lovingly, he abruptly ended his sermon and accompanied me to a little room at the back of the hall, which was dark and musty and filled with scout tents. After a few minutes of reading and explaining the gospel, we both knelt as I asked Jesus to save me from my sin. To this day, I recall the joy and the excitement that filled my heart as we emerged from our knees. 
I knew then, as I do now, that an incredible transaction had taken place. My sins had been forgiven. This world was no longer my home. I was now a citizen of heaven. And Jesus Christ was king of my life. As we we re-entered the scout hall, the hymn that was being sung was, I have decided to follow Jesus. Boy, did I sing that song with every fibre of my being. And even at that young age, I could really produce some volume in singing. The days and years passed by and my childhood was relatively uneventful. Sometime in 1994, I was convicted about the need to be baptised and approached the pastor about this matter. He instructed me from the scriptures about this subject and then a fortnight later I was baptised with four or five other people. As I continued to mature in my faith, my passion for God's word and the gospel grew. I found myself walking in the evangelistic footsteps of my parents by preaching the gospel at school, sporting events, and even to my family in the lounge room when we could not attend church due to sickness which might be why I appreciate Josiah so much preaching in the lounge room. One time when I was about seven and Gold and my sister was six, my mother found us early on Sunday morning celebrating communion with grape juice and crackers. And moments earlier, I had baptised Golda in the bathtub. She was dripping wet. There were grape stains on the carpet. And as you can imagine, mum was less than pleased. Little did I know that I would grow up to baptise others and lead you in celebration of communion. How amazing is God's plan? How amazing. In the introduction, I mentioned that from a young age, the scriptures brought great comfort and recalibration. As I was growing up, I found myself frustrated that God had given me a disabled sister. I didn't think it was fair. All the other boys and girls had normal siblings, and I was stuck with Golda. God soon fixed that perspective one day as I read Exodus 4, 10 to 11. Would you turn with me there, please, for a moment? Exodus chapter 4. You'll remember this is the account of Moses before the Lord saying, I can't speak, you're going to have to send somebody else. In Exodus 4, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken, in your, spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? It was clear that God gave Golda to us for a reason and that he was going to use her to bless us, and he sure did. And I learned an important lesson about discrimination at that time. For many years I felt that I had been hard done by because I did not have a father. I had to be the man of the house. I never learned how to fish, hunt, camp, etc. It just wasn't fair. God also brought this thinking to an end when, as an early teenager, struggling a great deal with relationships in my life, I read Psalm 68 verses 4 to 5. If you'd turn with me there, please. Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before him, father of the fatherless 
and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. I was confronted with the truth that my fatherlessness was a privilege as it created greater dependence upon the Lord. In 1996, my family attended an evangelistic meeting where an ex-New York stormtrooper who had been saved was preaching. His text was Isaiah 6 verses 1 to 8. I'm going to have you turn there too if you would please. Isaiah chapter 6. I tried very hard just to have a couple of verses here, but I couldn't. As I read the text, I had to include all of these verses. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. As the preacher read verse 8. It was as though God was speaking directly to me. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The Spirit of God was working in my heart and I knew in that moment that God was calling me into his service. Later that night in bed, I answered the call like Isaiah and said, Here I am, send me. From the moment of that call, my spiritual life went into overdrive. I started kids clubs programs at my school, discipleship lessons in lunchtime, prayer groups, Bible studies, running camps, preaching at church. And I am so thankful that God used me in spite of my naivety and pride. All was going well until I reached the age of 16. Having become disappointed by the lackadaisical nature of Christians around me and their poisonous arrows of gossip and malice, I plunged into a life that displeased my master. Instead of the scriptures, I was perusing pornography and all things impure. Instead of prayer, I was using vulgar language of which I am so ashamed. Instead of church attendance, I was at parties behaving like a lost person. It all came to a head when I was arrested for theft and taken to the police station. In walked my pastor, who lovingly sat by me and simply said, Have you finished running or do you need to meet Jonah's whale too? Miraculously, I was released that day without a criminal record, being a minor, and revival had begun in my heart. Later that night, I got on my knees and repented of all the evil that I had done. God forgave me and reminded me in his word that though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 1 and verse 18. In 2003, I think... I started a Bible study with Emma Collegia, now MacDonald, and her brother Matthew. 
This quickly grew as more and more youth expressed interest and started to attend. In less than a year, this little study group of two had transformed into a fully-fledged youth group of some 15 to 25 people. Professions of faith were made, evangelism was taking place, and it was clear that God was doing a great work. One thing I have learned is that when the skies of ministry are blue and a measure of success is had, be on guard because the devil is not far away. This was true of our youth group. Sadly, church politics, jealousy, and unwise counsel brought this vibrant ministry to an end. I was heartbroken, not because the ministry had ended, but because the young people were scattered and were so badly bruised and hurt that many of them to this day have not set foot into a church building. Again, this situation plunged me into a state of discouragement, and for some time I withdrew myself from church and any form of ministry. Truly, we cannot place our confidence in men, for the best of men are men at best. Psalm 118 verse 8 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. In 2007, I got engaged to Jessica and moved from my mother's home in Montrose to Melton to live as a bachelor until we were married in 2008. It was during this year of singleness that I learned some very important lessons. Firstly, that God had not called me to cook. And I definitely needed a wife to help in this category. I also learned that my gifts were not so much practical gifts. I don't have time to tell you about the upstairs toilet and the plunger which got stuck in the pipe. Furthermore, I found out later that riding on your bike to Bunnings for work in your little green apron was neither wise nor considered cool. Together, Jessica and I served at Open Door Baptist Church in Melton for a couple of years. I was actively involved in preaching, and after the pastor of that church resigned, I began to wonder if this was the ministry that God was calling me to. A very difficult circumstance occurred in the life of Jessica's family, and sadly the church failed to understand the biblical teaching of restoration. This in turn led to division and bitterness on the part of many within that church. Throughout this time we learned the all-important lesson that the church is to be a hospital, not a place where we shoot our wounded. Galatians 6.1 was the text for this period of time and it reads, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. In 2009... An opportunity existed for Jessica and I to take over the day-to-day management of Crystal Creek Christian Camp. This site was owned by about 10 independent Baptist churches around Victoria and New South Wales. This was an exciting opportunity for Jessica and I because we loved camps and it was a place where I had proposed to her in 2007. In 2010 we moved from Melton to Alexandra and began life in this community. It was a very busy life. We were entirely responsible for the running of the site overseeing the maintenance program, cooking for camps, marketing, reporting at board meetings and much more. And you probably gathered from the first part of my um, testimony that uh, I wasn't responsible for the cooking. Having become acquainted with a number of people in the Alexandra community, we commenced a basic youth program on site at the camp in 2010. It was at this time that we met the Calvert family and a number of other people from the church and district. In early 2011, I was invited to speak at a men's breakfast held at Alexandra Cafe by Conrad Halliburton, Beth's stepdad. Having shared my testimony, I was approached by a white-haired gentleman whose name we know as Ivor Jones. 
He was currently the interim pastor at Mount Cathedral Community Baptist Church in Taggarty. I'd never heard of this church, and with all my independent Baptist blinkers on, I was sure it couldn't be any good. He kindly invited me to attend the church and share a message one Sunday. I accepted the invitation and preached my first message to you in February 2011. Both Jessica and I were so impressed with the love, care and fellowship of this church that we quickly looked at membership options. On the 12th of April 2011, we were welcomed into membership and saw MCCBC as our new church home. Having experienced the sting of careless Christians and careless churches and Christians in the past, we were so blessed to be part of a real church that actively and intimately cared for us. However, the joy of this new experience could not prepare us for the storm that was brewing. Things in our previous church were turning very bad and some serious accusations and allegations were being made against me. One individual in particular was so adverse towards my ministry at the campsite that he wrote a long letter seeking to destroy not just my ministry, but also every aspect of my reputation. Never had I felt such resentment and hostility towards me, especially from those who named the name of Christ. Sadly, things went from bad to worse, and by the end of 2011, I was made redundant, uh, and those who had for many years been my friends, mentors, and fellow laborers in the ministry had turned against me, and I felt so alone. I had put every ounce of energy and strength into that ministry. My wife was exhausted from all the work we had done. We were so hurt and so lost, we did not know what to do. We found hope here with you. However, even the comfort of fellow believers was not enough to quell the pain that I felt within. As always, it was only the scriptures that could bring me ultimate relief. On one particularly difficult day, I opened my Bible to Psalm 26. Turn with me there if you would. And if you'd read this with the backdrop of what I've just said about accusations and falsehoods, and this was the passage that the Lord revealed to me. Psalm 26 in verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. And I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes. And I walk in your faithfulness. Verse 11 says, But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. Those were the verses of hope that God gave that day. I found assurance and hope. I knew that I had walked in my integrity and had honoured God in all that I had done at the camp. The next day, however, I was questioning whether all my efforts and the time and energy spent was in vain. I wondered what the point of it all was. Again, the scriptures encouraged me. If you turn once more to Second Chronicles chapter 25, in what might seem like a strange place to find this verse. Second Chronicles 25. Remembering that I'm questioning all the effort, the energy, the expense that has been put in. Second Chronicles 25 verses 8 to 9, you'll have to read the rest of the context later. Verse 8 says, But go, act, be strong for the battle. Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. That was encouraging, but verse 9 was the one. 
And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. I was hit with the truth that God would do exceedingly great things through this circumstance and in my life, and that every expense and every effort for him was not in vain. Truly, friends, a life spent pursuing God is worth every pain, every struggle, and every burden. It was Arthur Pink who wrote, What are years of toil, of sickness, of battling against poverty or persecution, when weighed over against the pleasures at God's right hand, which are forevermore? One breath of paradise will extinguish all the adverse winds of earth. From the camp, we moved into Alexandra, and I was appointed youth pastor here in 2012. God continued to bless Impact Youth, and the fruit of that ministry is present with us today. On September, excuse me, on the 17th of February 2013, I was ordained as the senior pastor at MCCBC, taking over from Pastor Ivor Jones. Finally, I had found my calling. For many years as a teenager and even as an adult, I had argued with God about becoming a pastor. He won. From 2013 to 2016, I was in my element. There were plenty of problems and matters that needed attention, but on the whole, I was both content and happy. In 2016, a number of major challenges loomed. An ex-drug dealer who had made a profession of faith fell back into his addiction and needed some serious help. In addition to that, a newly married couple who Jessica and I both knew well had broken off their marriage only a month and a half after their wedding. Both of these circumstances consumed my waking hours and without realising it, I was growing weary and not replenishing my strength in Christ. It wasn't long before my life resembled that of Jeremiah 2.13 which reads, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I was trying to do things in my own strength. Unknowingly, my eyes and sufficiency had shifted from Christ and his word to my own wisdom and strength. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Psalm 127 and verse 1. And I was doing just that. Instead of casting my burden on the Lord and being sustained, Psalm 55:22, I was rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic and was oblivious to the disaster that would soon befall my soul. By late October, having had people live in our home for some time and having been involved in intense counselling with them, I was far from the Lord, depleted of all strength, zeal and power. In November, I collapsed under all this pressure. I resigned from the pastorate here and immediately plunged into the deepest time of despair ever felt. By the end of November, my faith in God was shattered. My hope for the future was non-existent. And I believe that God had left me. Everything that I had trusted in for 28 years seemed to disappear like the morning mist. My life was like a derelict house when the foundations give way. Great was the ensuing crash. My wife was living with a shell and my close friends were very disturbed by my behaviour and speech. I felt alone and could not see a future. So downcast and depressed had I become that in December I was on suicide watch 
and friends and family were powerless to help. One Sunday, as I stood in church trying to sing the songs, trying not to let you see the hurt and the brokenness, I broke down. The words of a famous hymn that I had sung all my life, I could not now embrace. Be still, my soul. Thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice. Who ruled them while he dwelt below. I had neither hope nor confidence. After another month of hopelessness, I decided that I was either going to find hope or die trying. I booked a little cabin in Marysville for several days and I locked myself away with my Bible, journal and prayer book. The first day I felt nothing. The second day a spark of hope was activated in my heart. By the third day the fire of God had been rekindled in my inner man and I was enlivened by the character of God and his word. I eagerly prayed, read, sang to the Lord throughout the whole day. As I came to the close of this time of revival, revival, God gave me another encouraging text. Please turn with me to Psalm 94. If you were here last week, you'll know this is the very passage that Terry asked me to read unknowingly. Psalm 94 and verse 17, 18 and 19 hit me like a ton of bricks. Psalm 94 verse 17. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. That was the testimony of December. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. I am standing before you today by God's grace as a different man. God has moved upon my heart in indescribable ways. And I am ever so thankful. I know that I have hurt many of you by my deeds and my actions. I've not presented the example that I'm called to display. However, I stand here knowing that God is not done with me yet. And if you will forgive me and accept me back as your shepherd, I would delight to serve in this capacity again. If not, I completely understand and trust God with whatever my future may be. This, friends, is the testimony of a man who keeps on falling and of a God who keeps on being faithful. May this testimony encourage, inspire, and challenge you to pursue God with all your heart and trust your way to him, for he is altogether trustworthy.